This is the future of finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to the future of finance, the Motive Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. joined by Sam, as usual, and my dear friend, Paolo Serrano, the man from Milano. Paolo is a uh, fintech entrepreneur by trade, although most people know him for his thought leadership under the IBM umbrella. Thank you, Sam. I'm happy to be here. It's great to see you. And we're actually at Cybos at the moment. Cybos, for those that don't know, is one of the largest financial services conferences on the planet. It's organized by Swift, the sort of convening place for everyone in the industry. To kick off, you could Tell our listeners a little bit about your background, your entrepreneurial career, what you're up to at the moment, and then afterwards we can tuck into a little bit about Cybos. So I've actually been uh, an entrepreneur and an intrapreneur on a variety of things. I started back in 1995 when I became a risk manager and head of risk management department for investment banks. And that is an intrapreneurial experience because if you get back in time, that's when risk management started booming. Banks had to transform their technical and methodological architectures. So it was a very intrapreneurial exercise to create something new, to sell it internally. Basically, was an effort to change the mindset of people inside the organization to think risk not just return. Then um, in 2008, uh, I had a chance of uh, creating my startup. So I moved from Milan to Frankfurt, where I still live in Germany. And that was uh, an entrepreneurial experience um, that wanted to create uh, a solution based on the API economy to transform investment management globally and start mapping what I thought at the time would have been the biggest shift in the revenue generation mechanism of banks, um, ever since the creation of banks, that is the transformation from transactions to services. That means bringing investment management and bringing relationship to the heart of the business while the, the products and their capability to generate revenues will be sidelined by competition, by digital and by regulation. IBM bought this small company in 2012. That's when I got into IBM. And IBM asked me to start this thought leadership journey, which means being an entrepreneur of ideas worldwide. And that gives me the chance of meeting a variety of inspiring individuals to craft conversations and um, thinking by bringing around the table the financial institutions, banks, and insurance companies. The technology players, not just IBM, everybody that has to deal with uh, transformation towards digital. The fintech entrepreneurs, uh, which I love very much and I'm always supportive of uh, ideas and dedication. The financial institutions, uh, which are still at the heart of uh, the financial system. What is peculiar about me compared to many other commentators I meet around the different tech scene is that I never forget the psychology of the client. So I try to map when digital um, matches uh, the way people expect to deal with their finances and when instead is a bit far ahead so that we can identify those elements which are critical and must have or we might need to have as soon as technology improves to make sure that digital is something that really resonates for our personal life. Awesome. Thank you. You really are an international man of mystery. Uh, you and I have spent time together. I think we met in Istanbul. 
We've seen each other in New York, Toronto, London and Sydney. And Cybos this year is in Sydney. For those that, that don't know, it goes somewhere different every year. It was in Toronto in 2017 and 2019 it's in London, which I'm very grateful for. Um, perhaps you could tell our listeners a little bit about what you've heard this week on the, on the street in Cybos. Cybos is always uh, a very interesting experience uh, and um, is also a conference that um, IBM treasures a lot because the old financial uh, uh, institutions world gathers at Cybos. And what matters to me the most is that Cybos opened uh, the InnoTribe a few years back, which also wants to insert inside Cybos uh, the voice of uh, the entrepreneurs and the voice of the innovation. This year is a special year at Cybos, uh, also for us at IBM, because we have um, helped shaping uh, the InnoTribe uh, agenda, which has been organized around the four topics uh, that saw our IBM research colleagues uh, to participate. We actually went all pink because we had four female researchers at top of uh, the class. And um, the first topics are uh, all about the future. Some of this future is already here today, but the point is that how do we see that develops uh, going forward? The first topic is definitely quantum computing which is part of our five in five uh, uh, innovations that in five years uh, will start shaping the world. The second is advanced artificial intelligence uh, to connect uh, insights and data across ecosystems. The third is uh, blockchain and trust. Trust is uh, the value, therefore blockchain being trust is the value of the future banking architecture. And the fourth topic is uh, truly beyond the curve because it's uh, a quantum resistant cryptography. So on the one side, uh, we are all busy as uh, technology companies, uh, fintech entrepreneurs to create innovation. But on the other side, we know that innovation brings some consequences. So we also need to mitigate the risk of innovation. So on the one side, you build quantum and then you need to build quantum resistant cryptography. Awesome. Wow. That's very useful. Thank you. Again, in the vein of a summary, anything new that you've learned, which I think is probably highly unlikely given how much you know? Well, I think the new, new thing is the last book of Brad King, which is uh, Banks 4.0, which uh, is all about uh, the experience versus the product. And uh, I think this is very, very important because um, a lot of banks misunderstand the fact that digital is not about digitizing product. Digital is about digitizing um, the experience for people to do banking with a financial institution. I would actually go a bit beyond that because experience can be a limiting term in the sense that experience is something that can commoditize very fast. And you think about it, having a Wi-Fi in a hotel 10 years ago would have been a differentiating element. Today, everybody has it. Or um, if you think about instant payments, now some fintechs can allow you to do instant payments for free or a little cost. I expect that five years from now, that experience will be mainstream for all the banks. So now what I try to do is that I want to make sure that banks and fintech understand that the real element is the engagement mechanism that enables people to see themselves through a relationship and continuously source from this banking relationship or this insurance relationship the decision-making process for the financial life. So now, maybe not really much at Cybos, but I see that um, some uh, announcements have been around in the financial industry about the banks uh, starting to create more uh, holistic perspective for the customers. So the capability of bundling back um, 
solutions on platform that uh, make sense around the financial life of uh, individuals or corporate. One of the hot topics at Cybos this year was clearly open banking. I feel like the, the Europeans are effectively leading the way. Let me explain it this way. When I first published my second book of the trilogy dedicated to the transformation of investment management and banking, the fintech innovation, the founder of one of the European robo advisors uh, was the first one to tweet about the book and said uh, the Piceroni, which is my Twitter handle, is a fine individual. It says that regulation is the engine of innovation. And I reaffirmed that regulation is a key engine of innovation because it truly motivates uh, banks to transform their economic uh, mechanisms, so the revenue generation models. And here, here in Australia, which is uh, far away from Europe, uh, you can't imagine to be further away, the open banking, the PSD2, and uh, in some cases the MIFI regulation have been part of uh, most of my conversations. So if I say that the realization at Cybos that uh, the open banking uh, defined uh, in the way the Europeans are thinking about the PSD2 is the key element of Cybos this year. In the previous years, it was more like uh, a conversation around uh, potentials or uh, collections of APIs, let's create a catalog. Now there's way more consciousness about the competitiveness that an open banking platform can generate, not just as a threat, but as an opportunity for financial institutions. And this realization to me is very important. Thanks. Yeah, open banking has been a, a, a big one. One of the most interesting analogies I heard this week, which was from Thomas Nielsen of Deutsche Bank, he spoke about Nokia versus the iPhone. Nokia being the uh, the walled garden that everyone thought 11 years ago was going to be one of the great companies of the future versus the iPhone, which I guess broke that walled garden down and created a distribution channel and really changing the business model. It's the shift in business model, I think, that, that's most interesting. What opportunities around the world do you think we're going to see with, with open banking? And what are some of the most interesting regions that, that, that you've seen taking open banking on? I would like to break the answer in uh, uh, two parts. Uh, and the first one, uh, like uh, providing some of my personal insights on the Apple and Nokia story, which is actually the heart of uh, my fintech innovation book which is the difference between sustaining innovation and disruptive innovation. And I think I want to start from here because I believe that um, a lot of uh, commentators, uh, bank managers or fintech are misunderstanding the concept. This little story, I would call it, my robot advisor was an iPad. When uh, 25 years ago, my dad uh, gave me as a present for my birthday a CD player, the CD player was an example of sustaining innovation. That means uh, a product that was uh, fairly expensive with a high margin for this Japanese producer that I was happy to buy and to pay that money for uh, enjoying the quality of listening to the music. Every year I was buying uh, a new piece of this uh, hi-fi architecture, the subwoofer, the loudspeakers, and that was... Um, basically bring a lot of money into the hands of these Japanese producers. But it came a time where I didn't understand why I had to pay money to buy a new piece of this architecture. That's when the market saturated. 
Now, this is the time when disruption can occur. And that's exactly the time when Steve Jobs put the iTunes on the Mac and started selling the iPod. If you think about it, the iPod was not a better product than the Hi-Fi I had in my lounge. So the key element of disruptive innovation is not that you provide something better necessarily to your customers, but the fact that the customers don't understand your value proposition anymore. Right. So now, if you go to an Apple store today, you don't find the iPod anymore. You find the iPhone, which is how Apple made that $250 billion cash in their coffers. That's an example of sustaining innovation again, because they own the margin. And they provided the clients an experience, if you like. The clients are happy to reward, because I know when I buy the next iPhone that the margin for Apple is large. And somehow, for a variety of reasons, I'm happy to do that. So now the story of disruptive innovation is that you need to get into sustaining innovation to be successful in the very end. Banks need to be very careful when they play this concept because before the global financial crisis, banks were into this sustaining innovation type of approach in the sense that they were enjoying hefty margins in the transactions with their customers and they had on their open architectures a lot of products on display from structured products to simple funds to target funds, edge funds, and so forth. Then let's say that the consumers and First and foremost, the regulators in 2008 stopped understanding the value proposition, why those products had to be bought by clients. And the global financial crisis started to unfold these properties and the open architecture of banks started shrinking, right? And so that is um, when the uh, fintech started uh, their journey in the innovation scene, 2008 to 2010, if you remember, peer-to-peer, because banks could not provide uh, credit to part of the population that uh, became unbanked, those in the US, the robo-advisors, because the products became too complicated so they could provide uh, cheap solutions with ETF. The point is that... uh, the bank still is struggling to find the way out of uh, this disrupted framework. And it would not be fair to say that uh, the example is just Apple to Nokia, because it's more complicated for banks to define uh, what is sustaining innovation in the banking area and so for the fintech. And we need to come up with a different example, which is uh, another company that is in reality attempted to transform an industry, starting from uh, a high level of the status quo and bringing the client to an even better situation. And I think with all of the brackets, because every innovation journey is a very, if you like, uh, risky journey, I think that Tesla could be a better example. Because Tesla didn't start selling uh, a cheap car like a Fiat Panda to the consumers, but something very appealing and very expensive. And tries to transform an old industry by using two elements. One is uh, an electric engine, And one is uh, the analytics that enable you to drive Tesla in a different way. So what is the engine and what is the analytics? The engine should be the digital banking platform, which is an open banking platform that enables you to aggregate services. And the analytics are elements of artificial intelligence that enables you to bundle back all of these elements to create what we said before, the right engagement that keeps on inviting people on the digital platform to make financial decisions, being those people families or being those people small, medium enterprises. Because this is the key of innovation that banks and fintech have to look for. Clearly, sustaining innovation is more complicated than selling the iPod at first. So the iPod or the disruptive element can be an opportunity 
to start the journey, but it's fundamental that people understand that that's not enough. So then you have the capability of recreating the platform around the element which motivates people to act, which is a psychological element on how they relate with their money. Thank you, Paolo. Uh, a very comprehensive answer. And you talked about rebundling. I mean, we saw this week Goldman's, I would, I'm not sure I'd call it an announcement, but they have their, uh, their hidden unit called ICO, where they are effectively bringing to their customers a financial planning tool and a new way of bundling retail banking with investment management. Do you think we'll see more of this across the, the banking landscape? Well, in a sense, uh, continuing from the previous story, Breaking the banks means that you may look for disruptive innovation. Bundling back the broken services is an example of sustaining innovation. I always believe that planning as the secret sauce to digitize a full bank, because again, the center of planning are the needs of individuals and not the product. Digital does not work truly if you digitize products, because if you focus on products, there will always be somebody else which has many more touch points with their individuals to grab the business it will be the battle between Amazon and a bank. While the differentiation for a bank or for a fintech comes from the capability of creating added value planning along the life journey of individual or small medium enterprises. So this story of ICO working with Google on their employees is very interesting because it brings together on the same type of approach insurance taxation, investment management. So it's a bit more holistic compared to other solutions and propositions that I've been seeing in the market. And I think that if we ever find, we'll find a real unicorn in the space of fintech and banking digitization, that unicorn will be a planning unicorn because it will be really capable of aggregating services and asking the clients to pay differently compared to what they've been paying so far. To conclude, you said at the very beginning that um, we've been meeting in Turkey and we always meet each other around the globe. It is very true that uh, I'm traveling extensively for my role as IBM and author of literature. And I can say that we can divide the world uh, into three macro areas, loosely speaking. Let's say that the uh, technology has been traditionally born in the US. It is not that much anymore. We know that in Asia, there are great examples of digital innovation. Regulators are the dominant force in the European market. So Europeans and the European Union has a special, if you like, take on regulation, which is very important because customer protection is first and foremost a key element for sustained innovation and economies. But the business model is born in China. Now, when you innovate, you need to start from the business model you need to understand which is going to be the business model in the future that enables you to transform. And technology is just the opportunity to power up a right business model, while regulation needs to make sure that uh, the wedding between uh, the business model and technology makes sense for the community overall. So now I'm more inclined to look deeply into the business model transformation that what technology can do a, because I trust the colleagues and I trust all of the innovators in terms of technology. I know that technology will improve, but I think that the business model is the most important element that makes fintech or innovative banks succeed in the digital era. 
Thank you, Paolo. That's awesome. What a good run run through of what's been going on this week in Cybos. From risk management on entrepreneur to uh, to entrepreneur, you've been all around the world educating people on what you're seeing, the international trends, the new business models, the new technologies. We've got to wrap up, but a question I always like to finish on. You've had an incredible career so far. You're still only young. Who have been some of your, your mentors and your role models throughout your career? Well, I think that uh, I'm continuously in the middle of conversations huh? and um, I'm happy to to speak to if like uh, influential individuals is always rewarding, but I get very much entertaining to talk to people that do the job. Everyone that is uh, passionate uh, for his job, uh, like every small entrepreneur, uh, every colleague that worked with me was a mentoring opportunity because everyone has uh, a story and you have something to learn from that story. So dedication is what matters and it doesn't have to be a big person. It needs to be somebody that basically sweats its ass, if you can say, <laughs> to make it happen. Yeah, I like that. Sweats, sweats its ass, I think, uh, yeah, is it probably a good place to finish. But Paolo, thank you. It's always such a pleasure to see you. And I always feel a little bit smarter after I spent time with you. Thanks very much. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time. The information contained in this podcast is intended for discussion purposes only. It is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation for the purchase or sale of a security or any services of motor partners. All investing involves risk, and there is no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are as of the date of recording, reflect the views and opinions of the persons expressing them, and do not necessarily represent the views or opinions of motive partners. Motive partners makes no representations or warranties as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of any information provided, and undertakes no obligation to update, amend, or clarify the information in the podcast, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise. Any securities, transactions, or holdings discussed may not represent investments made by motive partners. It should not be assumed that securities, transactions, or holdings discussed, if any, were or will be profitable, or that the recommendations or decisions made in the future will be similar, or will equal the performance of the securities, transactions, or holdings discussed herein. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements that are based on beliefs, assumptions, current expectations, estimates, and predictions about the financial industry the economy, motive partners or motive partners investments. Nothing in the podcast should be construed or relied upon as investment, legal, accounting, tax or other professional advice or in connection with any offer or sale of securities.